Just gonna run this dog to see if we can find any type of uh, human remains that are left. Listen to Where Secrets Go to Die, The Disappearance of Derek Hennigan. From the Detroit Free Press, a new podcast set in the woods of Michigan's Upper Peninsula. Available on Apple, Spotify, Freep.com, or wherever you get your podcasts. Welcome to a new era of the Thunder Buddies podcast. I'm Joe Masato. I am joined by Michael Martin. Michael is going to be the new point guard of this podcast. We've been doing this a long time now um, and doing post-game recaps, midweek recaps. And and Michael, uh, who is a recent OU grad, who is a basketball junkie, um, follows the Thunder and is a podcast extraordinaire. He's going to be with us. Um, so we're, we're going to have some new formats. We're going to make it fun, uh, change things up a little bit, but, um, Michael, I'm, I'm glad you're here and just introduce yourself a little bit to the listeners. That was a great introduction. I hope I can live up to that, but, uh, yeah, you said it there that I'm a recent OU grad, big basketball fan, big thunder fan. I did my own independent thunder podcast, just trying to get ready for stuff like this, get a lot of reps in, but. I'm really looking forward to this, to just, like you said, being a point guard, just trying to make everybody look good, everybody look <laughs> shiny and nice and maximize people out here. But I just need to catch and shoot. That's what I'm going to be on this podcast now. We'll, we'll get you off some screens. <laughs> I think Barry can set a few for you, but I'm, I'm really excited. It's still surreal for me that we're sitting here doing this, but I'm excited like for what you said, the new era here. That's right. You know, every uh, the th- the Thunder's rebuilding, um, and and we're rebuilding this podcast a little bit. It's it's a it's perfect timing. So yeah, I'm excited about this just because, um, you you know we've I, I I feel like I haven't been able to dedicate myself as much to the to the podcast and like writing and beat reporting and everything like that. So um, with you here, I'm I'm ready for some big things. Well, I'm happy to take no it pressure. on. No oh, pressure. No pressure. No pressure. Absolutely. But let's get to what this podcast is about, which is the Oklahoma City Thunder, which they came away with two straight wins over the Los Angeles Clippers. But let's talk about the first one a couple nights ago where Shea played one of the best games of his career, in my opinion. Yeah, I mean, Shea was fantastic in both of these games, but um, you're talking about the game Tuesday night. Yes. He had 33 points, eight assists, five rebounds, 11 of 22. And it's just... He's so he's such a special score. I mean, he's just getting wherever he wants. The Clippers are throwing all kinds of defenses at him. They're trapping him. They're um, you know closing on him every time he drives the lane, and he's still able to to get to get uh, where he wants to get. And he was nine of nine from the free throw line, which he has he has not missed a free throw this season. A lot of people have accused me of jinxing him, but he is twenty two of twenty two from the foul line. But yeah, he was he was tremendous against his old team. For sure. I mean, and if he does miss a free throw, Thunder fans know who to go after. It's on me. On Joe, for sure. But this was his first uh, home game back of the season. His first home game that he's played in since March 21st against the Celtics. That was the game where Trey Mann went off in the third quarter, I think it was. But he was awesome, like you talked about, going both ways. And then speaking of Trey, he was a real heat check scoring 25 and relieving a lot of pressure and adding some scoring to the Thunder lineup that was much needed on a rough shooting night. Yeah, so Trey goes 10 of 24, and he goes 2 of 8 from 3. And his numbers, it's like when you watch him, 
it always looks like you're surprised his numbers aren't even better because he gets to his shot so easily and he's so shifty. And I asked Mark Degnault about it last night. I know we're talking about the game Tuesday, but he wants to get to a step back. Everyone knows he wants to get to a step back. And yet, you know, they, they still aren't quite ready for it. So he is, he's just been a huge spark plug. Uh, I wanted to say off the bench, but he started these last two games while the Thunder's been missing Josh Giddy. I think he's going to settle back into a bench role. But yeah, 25 points. He, he's that guy who, when, you know, the shot clock, uh, is winding down and or a play breaks down like he can just create on his own for sure he's great at just improv and just operating outside of the offense or within it mm-hmm. and just getting his own shot like you mentioned they know the step back's coming yet somehow he's always getting three or four feet of space yeah. off these guys which is just incre- uh, incredible well, but- and if you like close really hard on it he's just gonna blow by you mm-hmm. so it's like a no-win situation absolutely but i referenced the rough shooting night the thunder go 38 percent from the field 13.3 percent from three but they do get bailed out a little bit by their uh, nice offensive rebounding numbers and making 20 out of 25 free throws just winning in different ways winning isn't always going to be pretty but when you can get these wins like this as a young team, I think that's really nice. Well, yeah, it was just the extra opportunities the Thunder got in this game. I mean, look at the look at the total shot numbers. The Clippers took uh, 83 shots. The Thunder took 110. Points off turnovers was 23-3, to three, so it's like they shot 4 of 30, which is awful. But they had so many more looks at the basket uh, just because the Clippers couldn't stop turning it over which was the case last night as well, I thought. Yeah, quantity over quality for sure. Yeah. But I thought they did a great job, um, which Coach Dagnall talked about um, in the first few games about the silent killer of pace and playing slower. And I thought they got out in transition a lot and really played with a lot more pace and a lot more purpose out there for sure. Yeah, and I think Shea is going to set the tone for that because I've talked about this a lot, so I don't want to beat it to death. But I think his natural play style is more slow and methodical and like, he likes to assess the floor, and, and they're trying to get him to play. Uh, he's obviously the, the head of the offense, but playing within the offense and setting that tone as far as pace goes, which I think is going to be interesting to watch this year, just how how can the Thunder play fast but also have Shea most comfortable in his, you know, how he, how he wants to play. Yeah, that'll be a balance for sure of just mm-hmm. finding it because you, obviously you want to maximize your best player, but at the same time you want to do something where it, definitely showcases a lot of other guys where they're comfortable where it's not just all about Shea yeah yeah exactly um I did think this was interesting if you take away Trey and Shea's points and shots from the team the other night the team shot 32 percent from the field zero percent from three oh of 20 Ooh, this uh I I know things are going to look up when we talk about last night but man oh man they got off to a rough shooting start and um, Lou Dort was 0-6 in that game. He turned it around not from three, um, but overall from the field last night. But he was one of 11 on Tuesday, 0-6 um, from three. And yeah, those are those are not good shooting numbers, Michael. Absolutely not. No, that is not what we want. They couldn't shoot a golf ball into the ocean if they were standing no. on the beach that night. But like we were talking about, not all wins are going to be perfect. And I think it's a good learning experience for a young team to learn to win in different ways where it's like, not your traditional way where it's Shea isos or giddy running point and you're just kind of running through your offense in a traditional way. Sometimes you're going to have to pull it out of the mud and win in different ways. Yeah, especially when they're not at full force, which they haven't been really the whole season with Shea missing that home opener, Josh missing these last two games, Jalen Williams of Santa Clara playing six minutes in the opener and, and not anything past that. So 
we haven't seen them full strength with their full complement of ball handlers. So, yeah, I think they're going to have to win and compete in different ways. And they did that differently in Game 2, where uh, 20 of 25 free throws in Game 1. Game 2, everybody was losing their mind. They did not shoot a free throw until the fourth quarter. It looked like we were going to have some NBA history of no I, free I wanted throws. to see it. I wanted to see the history. Um, we, we actually did see some bit of history because the Thunder had zero free throw attempts entering the fourth quarter, which is the first time in Thunder history that that has happened. So, yeah, that was that was crazy. I think Shea's word was ridiculous, and Mark Zagnalt, I thought it was so funny. He was like, I was not particularly pleased with that, and uh, that was the understatement. Putting it kindly, yeah. that's for sure. But uh, Lou Dort bounced back after we talked about some of his rough shooting in the past few games and uh, in Tuesday's game against the Clippers. Um, he played pretty well, with and but more importantly, really shut down Paul George, holding him to 26% shooting on 12 shots and only 10 points. Uh, Dort alongside that poured in 21 points, 9 of 15 shooting. We don't really need to mention the 1 of 5 from 3 because we're trying to be positive here, but he looked much more under control and more selective in the shots and drives he was taking from my point of view. Yeah, I, I thought so too. I was watching him pretty intently early on, and there was a couple of times I thought he was going to pull the 3 where it wasn't really in rhythm or in a great spot in the shot clock, and and. He didn't, and he made the right plays. And Mark Dignall said after the game that his decision-making and shot selection was better overall. And, you know, 9 of 15 would, would point to that. Still hasn't had the three ball go down. But I thought it was he, – he, he sort of got the monkey off his back. Like, it's been such a topic of discussion because it's the first four games. It's the only samples we have to talk about. And he's just shot the ball so poorly that I think turning it around last night – and, you know, we, we take for granted the defense, but holding Paul George, um, who was really bad last night, Paul George was 4 of 12. He had 10 points on 12 shots. Now, Ty Lue did say after the game that he's still a little under the weather because he missed that game on Tuesday for a non-COVID illness. So he, he didn't look quite right, um, to say the least. Yeah, but it looked like uh, Dort's physicality was definitely giving him problems, and uh, we'll take that at any uh any way paul george is still a premier player in this league but um they get off to a strong start in this one and then the offense sort of bogged down a little bit the clippers playing a lot of zone and the what i like to call the anyone but shea can beat us defense (laughs) yeah and it didn't help to include um four first half fouls for sga but um looks like they were kind of like losing the reins the clippers were coming back towards the end of halftime yeah, it was an interesting game because this is one where you can sort of have a good idea of what's going to happen in the NBA just based off the schedule and based off, um, I'm going to sound stupid, but just like the vibes of it. Like the Thunder upsets the Clippers Tuesday night, then they have Paul George coming back, and you would expect the Clippers might run the Thunder out of the gym on Thursday just to sort of get past that loss and prove a point. Um, so this game started in the exact opposite way I thought it would. The Thunder sprint out to a 30-12 to 12 run. And then later in the second quarter, Reggie Jackson makes a three to tie the game at 46. And it's like that lead just evaporated. And then um, I thought the Clippers were going to run away with it. And the the Thunder was really dominant in, in the second half. But you mentioned Shea having four fouls before halftime. Mark Dignall didn't start him in the second half. And he said that might be hard for a guy with like a big ego or if you're like trying to massage his personality a little bit. But he was like, Shea knew why he couldn't start the second half. So Mark brought him off the bench about six minutes in. And um, they really 
more than treaded water. I mean, Lou Dort was good at the start of the third quarter, and um, they sure stayed in the game when Shea was out. Yeah, I like the second half adjustments from uh, Mark. It looked like there was a lot more just movement and off-ball cutting where the defense couldn't just stay stagnant and just mm-hmm. sort of stand around. So I like that adjustment. And But you mentioned it. They looked really great in the second half, uh, just kind of pulling away and running their offense. A big part uh, that I was really surprised late in the game was uh, Poku in the clutch. A couple big threes. Poku. Big blocks in the fourth quarter in crunch time. It was It was nice to see after his sort of meltdown against the Wolves a few weeks ago. Yeah, exactly. I mean... You can just see the progress in Poku game to game. He's got that first game of the season in Minneapolis, and everyone's talking about sort of his crunch time snafus. And then um, last night he makes two threes in the final five minutes. And I thought that was a a huge step for Poku and maybe one of the most memorable, memorably positive games for him because not only does he make those threes, he has a really impressive block against Zubats and – more than anything, like Mark Degnault trusted him to be in the closing lineup. He played in eight eight minutes in the fourth quarter alone, and um, I said this on Dream Team last night. But sometimes when you ask a guy, like, okay, what do you, what do you, when you ask a teammate, so I'm asking Shay, like, what are you seeing from Poku? Like, sometimes it's just like a general nondescript answer, like, oh, he's you know playing better. But like Shay and Lou last night were saying his confidence is just so much higher than it used to be. Um, even from not, not only from his rookie season, but from last season and there's still going to be ups and downs. Um, I've not, you know, it was almost out on Poku to begin the year, but he's so young and these swings are so wild that we just need to sit back, enjoy the ride, take the bad with the good, talk about the bad and the good, but just like my, my whole thing, I don't know how you feel about this. Just reserve judgments on Poku until a quarter of the way through the season, halfway through the season, just because like we're wildly swinging back and forth with how we view him. For sure. I mean, I tell people all the time, development is not linear. It's not going to be like an up and up and up thing, even with guys like Shea, who it looks like that is. But for Poku and 90% of the other prospects in the NBA, it's going to be two steps forward, three steps back, four steps forward, two steps back or whatever. There's going to be ups and downs. And that's exactly what you saw with the Minnesota game to this one. And my favorite thing about this, along with what I said about Door, is just being able to respond and not letting you get you down. Because there have been a lot of players, even in Thunder history, who are young guys who had their confidence kind of beaten down and couldn't really recover from that. But it was nice to see from Poku. Yeah. Development is not linear. That's the that's the Thunder's love language right there. So uh, that's I, I think Mark Daniel probably said that phrase oh 75 times last year so you're on you're on top of it right there i'll I'll have a t-shirt when that when i walk (laughs) in and see if i can get a nice chuckle from him it's like a line going it's like a ekg or something Mm -hmm. yeah just a little heart monitor yeah but you had a great story the other day talking about lou dort even though he did break out of his shooting slump a little bit yesterday but i was really intrigued by one of the stats you put out there that he was shooting 20 percent from three to t- uh, from three to ten feet and he's one of eight on driving layups he's four uh, he's three of 20 on jump shots that was just really surprising on just the lack of efficiency but I just want to talk to you about sort of the dort dilemma that you mentioned earlier that's kind of gotten beaten to death yeah and and obviously shot it better last night we talked about the three ball not being there but the main thing i mean the numbers are what the numbers are basically he's been the the worst shooter volume shooter in the NBA so far when I looked at this as of Wednesday so 
58 players have attempted at least 50 shots, and Dort was last among them in field goal percentage, and he was shooting 25.5%. 57th, so one ahead of Dort, was Trey Young, who's shooting 32.4%, so almost seven points better. So it's like he was last by a mile. Now, tiny sample size, I, I, I totally understand that. My, my main thing is the corner three-point attempts. And, and, and as a basketball, you're better at the X's and O's than I am. But of his 26 attempts, just five have been from the corners. And last year, he was 26 of 60 from the corners, 43%. Now, corner threes, we all know they're the most valuable in the NBA. And we know that Dort is a better shooter from the corners, yet a vast majority of his threes are above the break. And I think part of that is Mark Zagnolt was saying that Dort is better as a um, as a pull-up shooter. He's better off the dribble than he is off the catch-and-shoot, which you're only going to catch-and-shoot threes from the corner. But are you, are you just seeing, like, would you rather see his diet of three-point shots shift to more corner threes? For sure. I mean – a lot of it is, um, we even saw last night, just being more decisive and being more selective on the shots. Some of it is just his placement and positioning on the floor. Mm-hmm. Obviously, if you're not around the corners as much, it's hard to shoot corner threes. Yeah. So some of those things, it'll have to be like that. Um, and the Thunder's offense has a lot of movement, so it's not like something like where you'll see with Philadelphia where P.J. Tucker is just planted in the corner. Right. But there's definitely different ways to get guys like that more involved. I think, um, especially in the corners, I think... When Giddy comes back, that'll be great with a lot of skip passes that he can just move there immediately where you don't have to move the offense as much. Yeah, and and both Shea and Giddy get so many driving kicks and he can relocate to the corners on on those. So, yeah, things will definitely change with with Giddy. But overall, like, you know, Lou was talking about it last night. I asked him if it was, you know, if it helped his confidence having a game like that. And he was basically saying, like, He's always confident, and he talked about his path and referenced being a two-way player, undrafted to where he is now, you know, $87.5 million contract, and kind of puts things in perspective, like he's not going to let four games get him that down. Yeah, it was really nice to see, especially after one and eleven, uh, one of 11 game against the Clippers on Tuesday to come back and bounce back on both ends, like we talked about against Paul George, but I do wonder uh, with some of these things, with guys coming back, with Giddy coming back, J-Dub and others if um, he can, I guess, relinquish his role a little bit offensively, where you can get back down to about 10 or 11 shots per game instead of 14, 15, 16, because he is a guy who uh, was second in the le- uh, second on the team in scoring last year, mm-hmm. but it doesn't seem like that's his ideal role going forward. No, I don't think it is. Um, I, I also would probably pick him to be, would you pick him to be second on the team in scoring this year? Currently, it's Trey Mann. But um, I would guess... That's interesting. Yeah. I think I would still go Dort. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, I totally agree with you, though. Like, his role on a good team has to be more narrow. And I think naturally it will be with J-Dub coming back, Giddy coming back, Chet is the huge missing piece in all of this, coming back next year and seeing how Dort fits within the offense then. But I think it's like the do-everything defensive stopper and hunting corner threes and when he has a lane, straight line drive layups pretty much um, would be his role. But right now he's being asked to do so much more because they're missing ball handlers. So he's like the primary creator out there when 
Um, Shea isn't out there. Obviously, Trey Mann takes some of that role. But, yeah, I, I don't know if we're going to see a huge shift, honestly. And his his attempts will be down, and they are down. But I, I don't think it'll be until next year that we get a better idea of like what the actual role of Lou Dort is. I agree. And the big part that you mentioned is just kind of the up and down and changing parts of his role with different guys in and out of the lineup, which has got to be super, super weird, where one night you're the clear third option behind Giddy and Shea, mm-hmm. and then they're both out, and it's like, okay, we need you to create everything. Well, and he had a lot of those moments last year when he was the only guy uh, out of Shea and Giddy out there. So he's he's been asked to do a lot more than he's eventually going to be asked to do, and as a player, I can only imagine that it's going to be hard to, to give up some of that offensive leeway, but I think I think they they obviously really like Lou, or they wouldn't have signed him to that extension. And and I think you know they're they're being patient with what they're asking of him for sure. And four games in, there's nobody who's regretting an extension or jumping through hoops like I can't believe we got this done. <laughs> I think there were some fans regretting that. Yeah. I, I think uh, I think some people jumped to extremely quick conclusions, but. That is not us here on the Thunder Buddies. That's just podcast. the way it is. No, long term <laughs> development is not linear. We're gonna we're gonna steal that and just oh tell them boy. they took it from us. But um, great two way performance by Lou Dort last night. Another two way um, player really developing for the Thunder is Shea Gilgis Alexander, who came in the league um, from Kentucky and playing on the Clippers, kind of being a multi tool defender with a lot of length. He even helped out a a lot of times in his first year with OKC in that three-guard lineup. But I just wanted to talk to you about his evolution as a two-way player. It's been very impressive. And I don't know know if we've talked about this together, but um, I I covered Shea in his year at Kentucky. And he was – so first off, Quad A. Green, who – shout out to anyone who knows that name. But he was Kentucky's starting point guard that season with Shea. Um, and Shea eventually came off the bench, started to play more. But like back then, Shea was a he was a big time prospect, but not like a top ten guy. And he was known as like you know six six. His arms are everywhere. Like he's he's a really good defender. Um, but maybe the offense is going to be a little slower to come around. And that is like the complete opposite way that we think about Shea now. He's like one of the premier offensive players in the league, but. The way he's started this year defensively has been eye-opening, and I'm going to write a story about this for Sunday. Is he's just getting in passing lanes, he's being disruptive, um, he's getting steals, he's getting blocks. Like the other night, he had three blocks and three steals. And I asked some of the other guys about that, and they're just saying, like, we know how hard he works and the burden he carries offensively, so when we see him play like that defensively, it sort of, like, sends a new message. So... We always knew Shea had this in him. I think it's been a matter of, one, the team hasn't been competitive, and I think it's a little hard to gear up defensively when it hasn't been competitive. And two, he has done so much offensively that you can only ask so much out of him defensively. But this year, you're right. We've seen like a two-way player. Well, and I think uh, they mentioned earlier that Coach Dagnalt really challenged him defensively. Yeah, to be the tone setter is what Dagnalt said. And it looks like he's doing it. That's, I mean, that's what leadership looks like as a guy. And you mentioned that other guys are looking at him. It's like, well, he's leading the team in scoring. He's on a he's on a max right now, and he's gearing up defensively and really locking in. We definitely need to do this as well. 
But um, yeah, you, just, just real quick, he's averaging two and a half steals per game, which is fifth in the NBA right now. Yeah, he's number five in steals, number twenty in assists, and number eleven in points. So Not he's bad. just all over the place right now. Those are definitely all star numbers, four or five games in right now. Yeah, and I I think he is going to be an all star. I thought before the season that he would be. Um, I had a bold prediction that he'd be a top five scorer in the league, which. Um, maybe it's going to happen, maybe not, but like he is certainly trending in, in all-star territory. What do you think were the biggest changes for him defensively? It, it looks like he's just more active and engaged, but I'm sure there are more things underneath going on than just that. Yeah, I, I'm sure as well. I mean, those are the things that stand out to me, though, is just like those are the things that are easiest to see, just his motor on that end and like fighting over screens and staying in front of guys. And, and like I said, just like being really disruptive, um, getting deflections. He, uh, I, it does look like he's a guy who's out there trying to send a message. I don't know if they're doing anything schematically different um, with, with him in this defense. Obviously, Dort's going to guard the primary um, offensive guy on the other side. Um, but Shea looks ready to take on that, you know, second best guard wing, whatever it is. Yeah, and it's really nice to see, like you mentioned before, at, with your time at Kentucky and him coming in as more of a defensive prospect, and then it didn't look like that in the mm -hmm. NBA. And that happens pretty often with a lot of guys who have a college reputation as a defender, somebody like Donovan Mitchell. Yeah, and Russell then they come, Westbrook. Russell Westbrook. And then they come to the league, and then they're not necessarily defenders, or they lose that a little bit because they take on so much of the offense. But it's really nice to see from Shea as a two-way guy, and he's definitely looking more and more like a star or maybe maybe even a superstar but what do you think is the next step in his game he needs to take because he continues to blow me away with how much he improves every single year where i think oh this is probably about as good as it gets and then he just takes it up a completely new level yeah i would have said the defense um but clearly he's putting a lot of time into that i mean he's shooting 41 percent from three through four games I mean, defense and three-point shootings. Three-point shooting are the things we talked about most. I don't know. Right now, there's not an obvious hole yeah. in his game. No, he looks great. I mean, he's improved on his handle. He's improved on his body more than anything. That's the real thing that's shown from his first few years. But Shea looks like an all-star, maybe a superstar, budding here in Oklahoma City. D did I mention he's shooting 100% from the foul line? I think you did. Okay. I think you're trying to jinx him, but <laughs> I'll, I'll strike that from the record here. <laughs> Well, it looks like, you know, we're in holiday season coming up with the fall. Halloween's coming up soon. Do you have any Halloween plans, Joe? Um, I don't have how well, I kind of do. My sister's having like a Halloween party, um, but like a, you know, old person boring party, so I'll fit right in. Are you a costume guy? I'm not a big costume. I never have been. Halloween I don't want to offend anyone, but it's just never been my favorite. Um what are your thoughts, though? I mean, to each their own. I like candy, obviously. I like candy. Running around, hanging out with friends. Um, I was never great with Halloween costumes. I had, like, the Grim Reaper one time on, like, roller skates, which mm -hmm. was cool, except for we lived on top of the hill, and I was not ready for the, <laughs> the little decline there. Uh, what What's your favorite Halloween candy before we get into this last segment here? Halloween candy. Um... I will probably say Reese's, which I think a lot of people would say. Um, but, you know, I like I like Kit Kats. I like Snickers. But 
I don't even consider these Halloween candies because I eat these candies all the time. So, well, thank um, you for not saying candy corn. That was the secret agent test here. Yeah, what's the deal with it? How does anyone like candy corn? If Halloween was not a holiday, whoever made candy corn would be bankrupt right now. <laughs> yeah, like they had money invested in Halloween. It's objectively terrible. I'm just wax. Please let me know about your candy corn thoughts on Twitter. I'll just really wax. appreciate it's it. It's just wax candy. But uh, we're going to finish off here with trick or trend. I like this. Nice little pun here. But just fun game. I'll give you a few different Thunder stats so far from early this season. And we'll talk about if it's a trick, something that won't continue based off this early game sample size, or a trend that looks like it's something to come. I Let's mentioned, do it. I mentioned it earlier. Trey Mann, 15 points per game, second on the team in scoring. Is this a trick or a trend of Trey being second on the team in scoring? Well, I guess per my previous comment, I'm going to have to say it is a trick. But I think it would be ideal for the Thunder if it's a trend. And um, if so, he's averaging 14.8 a game right now. I think if he's in between that, you know, 12 to 15 range and it looks like he might be on the higher end of that he's going to be one of the bench score best bench scorers in the nba and like maybe we've pigeonholed him into being like okay this you know classic six man lou williams jordan clarkson type um, uh, but maybe his ceiling is higher than that but um i will put a damper on that and say trick i will say this is a trend i'll go the opposite way I like the classic six-man comps for sure, but he's been eating his broccoli. He's playing a little bit more better, <laughs> better defense than Lou Williams and Jamal Crawford, who couldn't really guard a cone. But it, it's been true. nice to see. Uh, he's worked on his body and really had a great evolution this year, so I'll, I'll say trend. Next up, currently OKC is playing an average of 12 players per game. Do you think this is a trick or a trend of them just going platoon lineup like those Kentucky teams with Devin Booker? I'm, I'm going to say trend. I mean... I don't think it's going to be quite as sporadic as it has been um, early in the year. We've seen some crazy rotations. I mean, they're not even rotations, and that's what Mark Dagnall would say. He doesn't even have set rotations. It, it used to be where, okay, at the eight-minute mark, we, we, we knew player X was coming in, and like Billy Donovan's rotation patterns were pretty formulaic, and um, Mark Dagnalt is playing anyone and everyone, and we saw Poku, you know, I think it was Tuesday night, he was playing in like 30, 40-second spurts, and then he'd come in, come out, and um, I think the the rotations are going to be all over the place, and I think it's for good reason. I think it's, I'm going to back my way into this answer. There's a reason they moved on from guys like Teo Maladone and Vit Krejci, um and Ty Jerome, it's because they played him a ton and realized, okay, these guys aren't going to be long-term pieces in Oklahoma City. The only way to learn about these young guys and see if they're long-term pieces is to play them. So I think that's why everyone's going to get a lot of minutes. I agree, and you talked about it being sporadic. I mean, the one that stood out to me was how well Darius Baisley played against Denver, and then the first Clippers game on Tuesday plays like the least amount yeah, of plays minutes four on minutes. the team. So it's going to go up and down. Obviously, there is a plan in place. I like to think just for more fun that Mark has a little wheel that he spins every once in a while about who he wants to play. But it's got to be um, interesting for guys on the team, just continuity-wise with different guys coming in and on the lineup and complicated for other teams because you have to prep for 12 guys. Yeah, I have no... Uh, well, I feel sorry for some of these advanced scouts who are in Oklahoma City and trying to develop a, the scouting report when it's like, we have no idea who they're going to play. In the first game of the season, Aaron Wiggins does not get in. In these last couple games, he started. Like, that's just how quickly things change. 
No, for sure. I, I would like to see the advanced scouting uh, department on Poku. I think that'd be a lot of fun. Whoever <laughs> has that task for the night of just what does he do well? It's just like a it? big question mark. Yeah, it's just like he does everything and nothing very, very well. <laughs> um, next up for Trick or Trend, the Thunder are currently second in turnovers per game in the league at 11.2 per game. They're really taking great care of the ball. Is this a trend or a trick? Because usually young teams like this do not take care of the ball this well. I'm going to say, what, what's the bar here, though? Like, we think they'll be top 10 in fewest turnovers, top, that's, that's top fair. half? We'll do top 10. Okay. I'm going to say tri- trick, um, just because they are young. You mentioned that. Um, and the main thing is just the way they want to play when their full complement of ball handlers is back. Like, they want to move the ball around a ton, and that's naturally going to lead to, to more turnovers just you know, if they went ISO Shea every possession, they wouldn't have as many turnovers. But I, they're they're an offense that wants to whip things around and and move the ball. So I think that's naturally going to lead to more turnovers. But it has been super impressive. I mean, turnovers and turnover differential was the key in beating the Clippers twice in a row. Well, and there's a big difference with turnovers. There's um, well-intentioned turnovers, and then the ones where it's like, what are you doing? There was no chance of this ever working. Yeah, and. I think the coaching staff and the players will live with a lot of turnovers if they're well-intentioned or that's the right read. It just something weird happens compared to trying to force the ball into places that it's not going, dribbling through traffic and other things like that. Yeah, exactly. And then um, you mentioned it earlier, and we talked about with two-way Shea. Shea is averaging 2.3 steals and 1.7 blocks right now. Um, Do you think this is a trick or trend that he could keep up two and one for the rest of the year? 2.3 2.3 steals and 1.7 blocks. But I'll, I'll flatten it out to two and one. Two, uh, two steals, one block per game. Okay. I'm going to say trend. I think he can keep that up. Um, yeah, I, it'd be hard to do, but I think he can keep that up if he, if he stays this invested on the defensive end. I mean, I think people lose sight of just how equipped he is to be a good defensive player given his length um and athleticism there on the wing so i'm 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 buying into shay's defensive progress i am too i don't know if he can do that i did some research oh boy only four players have ever averaged two steals and one block per game in nba history (laughs) okay okay trick (laughs) i've been tricked okay you did your research and i did not but uh, this is another part of it is if you can guess three out of the four players who did it, I will buy you coffee the next time we record. Are, are any of these current players? Only one. So averaged at least two... Two steals, one block. Two steals and one block. One of these you will not get. I will bet any amount of money you will not get. I, I don't think I'm going to get any of them. Just tell me. Hakeem Olajuwon did it four different times from 1987 through the 99, uh, 1990 to 91 See, I should have just went with the premier shot blockers. David Robinson in 1991. Anthony Davis last year. And this is the one you could have given me a billion guesses or you. I don't think you would have gotten it. Maybe I'm underrating your uh, knowledge. Well, clearly of the, not. I didn't even want to put out any guesses. Gerald Wallace from the 2005-2006 wow. Charlotte Bobcats. The Bobcats. Uh, oh, a man. franchise that doesn't even exist anymore. When I think of the Bobcats, I think of Gerald Wallace in an orange jersey. Um, that's really interesting. So, so we have three... So Robinson and Davis, Olajuwon, we have three big men. We've got Gerald Wallace, more of a wing slash forward. 
So Shea would really be the only like true guard in, on that list. Yeah, even that with his freaky um, sort of length and height for a guy his size. But I thought that was pretty interesting. Only only four guys ever to do that. So if he's able to do that, man, that, that would be incredible. But This is why we brought you aboard. I'm learning all sorts of things right now. I appreciate it. <laughs> but um, I think that's about all we have for today. I'm really excited going forward. I'm glad to be here. We've got a lot of stuff in the pipeline planned, so uh, be patient. I'm going to be working on some social medias and some other things. Uh, Joe, do you have anything else to plug before we get out of here? No, I don't think so. I mean, we talked about, I'm, I'm writing about Shea for Sunday. We'll have Thunder Mavs coverage um, from Dallas on Saturday night, but yeah, other than that, I'm ready uh, I'm ready for round two, uh, continuing this new era of Thunder Buddies podcast. For sure. Looking forward to it. We'll talk to Barry soon, Joe as well. Um, thank you all for listening. This podcast was brought to you by the Oklahoman, the Thunder Buddies. Make sure to uh, follow Joe on Twitter at Joe Masato, is that right? That's right. Two S's, two T's. And then at Michael on sports. I need to raise some numbers up here. And um, I'm going to be opening up a new Thunder Buddies uh, Twitter soon here after we have the, the last one, unless I can get access to that. But again, thank you so much for listening. And we're looking forward to getting back to you every Tuesday and Friday. Just gonna run this dog to see if we can find any type of uh, human remains that are left. Listen to Where Secrets Go to Die, The Disappearance of Derek Hennigan. From the Detroit Free Press, a new podcast set in the woods of Michigan's Upper Peninsula. Available on Apple, Spotify, Freep.com, or wherever you get your podcasts.